If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, a special guest, a returning guest of previous episodes, Scott Rogers. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, all things considered. How about yourself, Brandon? I'm doing good. Uh, what a crazy beginning of 2021. I have a, So I run a company with my friend, and we have like a bunch of people that works for us in Texas right now. And uh, oh my God, it's like it's just one disaster after another. Yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. difficult. Maybe um, you can send them some blankets or something. Something. I, at first, it was. Uh, I, I think I, I was part of like the rest of America wasn't really taking it seriously, and then now just seeing the aftermath of people like dying from it and stuff, it's just. Oh yeah. How much more can we take, dude? I don't know. I I technically feel like we're still in 2020. I I call this like. December 77th or something like that and of, of 2020. I don't think we've quite turned the corner into 2021 yet. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get into it too deep, uh, this is actually the part of the podcast where uh, I ask our guest, which is yourself, to introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers out there of who you are, where you've been, and where you're heading. Gosh, this could take up the whole podcast. Uh, so my name is Scott Rogers. I am a professional game designer, educator, lecturer, and, uh, documentary film star. Uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I was a professional, uh, AAA video game designer for, oh gosh, uh, like 20 some odd years. I worked for Sony and Capcom and Namco and THQ and several other companies on games that you may have heard of and maybe even played games like the original God of War, Pac-Man World, the Maximo series, Darksiders, Drawn to Life, uh, some Warhammer games, a lot of SpongeBob, um, all types of things. Uh, I have a pretty long resume for games. Um, and then in 2011, I worked for Walt Disney Imagineering and I made games for the theme parks for about six years. Uh, and then uh, more recently, I have been teaching. Uh, I, I teach at um, uh, University of Southern California and also at the New York Film Academy, uh, where I teach uh, game design. So everything from level design to the history of video games and kind of everything in between. And the other thing that I do that keeps me pretty busy is what I call my jobby, uh, which is making board games. And I have two that are published. One is called Ray Guns and Rocket Ships, and that was published by IDW. Uh, and then I had another one called Pantone the Game, based on the color system, uh, the famous, you know, if you know your computers, you're using Pantone. Uh, and then I have another big game, but I unfortunately, I can't tell what it is yet. Uh, it's going to be announced actually about three days from now, um, but it's based on a, a very large uh, intellectual property, one that I'm almost 100% sure that everybody has heard of, and I'm very excited. Uh, it's it's kind of a dream project for me. So I am uh, I can't wait to talk more about it, but you guys are just going to have to wait a few more days uh, to find out what it is. So uh, one of the few reasons that I, I brought you back on, uh, and I think there's a lot of things to kind of touch on, right? Uh, with the transition to online schooling <laughs> for everything, I have kids of yep. my own too. So I kind of, kind of seen them like going through that 
disastrous effort at first and now it's kind of smoothing out but it's kind of still irreplaceable to be in person how's the education going at least on the college level um right what kind of uh (laughs) what kind of recourse did you have to consider yeah it's a it's it's been a challenge for everybody i can particularly understand where it's tough for smaller kids who maybe don't have the patience they're maybe not used to sitting in front of the screen and and as parents you know, what in what I call the before times, you know, we spent so much time trying to keep them off screens, right? You know, don't yeah. spend your whole day watching TV or playing video games, you know, as much as we love them, you know, go outside and do something or, you know, go play with your friends or something like that. So now that the culture has changed, you know, drastically within this year, uh, we have to be a little more patient with that. We have to be a little more tolerant with that. But I think think that it goes both ways. Uh, As an educator, I try to make an effort to, first of all, ease people into the itinerary. So if we're going to do a class, it isn't just, all right, let's, you know, like, like if I were teaching in a classroom, you know, ever, okay, you've shown up, let's, you know, here's the clock starts on time. Let's, you know, jump right in uh, because we have a lot to go over. Um, Through Zoom, which is what I primarily teach through these days, or, or actually exclusively teach through these days, um, I am a lot more patient. And so I have to kind of ease things in. I try to um, let the, the students loosen up a little bit. We talk about, you know, what are you playing right now? And how's your home life? And, and you know, are there anything on your mind we want to talk about? And so just to kind of ease people in so they don't feel like it's go, go, go the minute they, because they're already in front of the screen and I want the experience in my class to be enjoyable, you know, as well as educational. Um, and then, um, and then I, uh, have been doing little things here and there where, uh, one of my classes was very much, um, kind of a lecture, all lecture class and it worked fine in person. I had taught it for many years in person, but it wasn't working in zoom. And so I went back and I literally rebuilt the entire class and said, all right, I need to build in opportunities for discussion. I need to build in uh, breaks. I need to build in, you know, all these little things that don't seem like a lot or maybe happen organically in the classroom setting, uh, but they weren't happening on Zoom because um, just like, you know, anything, people have gotten used to the idea of being polite and waiting their turn. And, you know, you don't want everybody talking at once on Zoom. And so it it doesn't encourage exchange. And so I'm trying to do everything I can to kind of encourage exchange. And that's something that the teachers need to let the students know that it's okay for them to engage. And so um, that's that's it's not a problem, but it's just something that people, I think, uh, organically forget about because of the format of uh, video conferencing. Yeah, I, I think um, there's so much of a learning curve that we're we're adjusting to. I think even before, I, I, especially with the younger generation, they were okay with the social networking taking over the life, and then we're fastly realizing that it's not enough, uh, and it's actually detrimental to us <laughs> socializing. Right, would have thought, right. Uh, but that actually brings up to the main meat of this topic that I wanted to talk to you about. So uh, I came across some very uh, great insights that you had about VR. And VR, if anything, I believe have gotten a recent boost uh, mm-hmm. yeah. for a few things. I think uh, because of Facebook taking over Oculus, Oculus treating their devices like phones. So they're, they're, we're seeing iterations a lot faster, a lot more evolution of that device and more acceptance and now it's it's crazy to see how quick of a turnaround now that the quest 2 doesn't require any wires any any camera setup that's a huge plus and uh it seems to be one step closer for uh general consumption right uh right and well i i would also add to that that the interesting thing about virtual reality is people often forget that it doesn't just mean a device with the goggles like we are right now, Brandon, you and I are experiencing virtual reality and yep. and particularly, you know, that you have me on your virtual television set and you are sitting in your virtual, <laughs> you know, secret lair somewhere. And um, and so virtual reality takes many forms. It's it's not just 
um, you know, the the traditional where the goggles play a, a first person shooter, but in uh, this, you know, kind of stereoscopic vision perspective like the old days. I mean, virtual reality, the concept has been around for a very long time. Uh, the application of it has even been around for a long time. And and this is something that in my history class, I part of the goal of the history class is to just let people know that things come around again and again. It, it, you know, history repeats itself and video games are no different. Uh, trends in video games and ideas and, and even applications of play uh, get reused over and over again. And so um, one of the big one of the weeks we spend is a really hard look at the history of virtual reality and the fact that it really started in like commercially it started in the 80s. It, it there had been experiments all the way going back to the early 60s in it. Um, but then uh, it went through just like the traditional video game industry, it had a, a kind of a boom and a bust. And by 1992 or 93, it was kind of gone. It was it was passe, partially because the technology just wasn't there yet. And, uh, you know, the graphic resolution and the frame rate and, you know, all the things that contributed towards a good experience hadn't really been perfected. Now, people fortunately did do that and they spent the time. But I think it I think the things that VR are now benefiting from are th a lot of things that came from the video game industry. I think that, the, you know, for example, this or the film industry. So this, you know, green screening, for example, to allow you to make these fun backgrounds and uh, digital uh, imagery, you know, creating a digital set. That's that's movies and that's video games. Right. So um, VR is now having this resurgence, this this evolution, because those other industries were moving forward where maybe VR was kind of standing still for a while. Um, but but I think now we're, we're, you know, in a better place and the experiences can be um, much more convincing and much less painful on the user. I think that um, there's still several obstacles, though, in its way from it being to the point where I think it can be. Yeah, I think for uh, in a little while, we'll kind of deep dive into what those uh, blockers are to kind of make it uh, what's blocking us from the matrix. Basically, I do want to sign off. Like I was a huge fan of the virtual boy. Uh, I never owned one, but they used to have these kind of setups at these malls. And anytime yeah. that we would go back to the mall, I would immediately go back. And I think I was playing the Mario on those virtual boys. And it, at that point it was very, you know, uh, all, all red graphics. So, Oh, it's definitely. a terrible, it's a, ter it's a terrible device. I'm honestly surprised that you liked it. I liked it because I, it was different. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember going to an E3 in Los Angeles when before it came out and I waited in line for like an hour to use the virtual boy. Cause I was, you know, I liked Nintendo and I always respected their hardware and, and their inventions. And I, the, later on, I found out the guy who invented it was the same guy who did the Game Boy, and you know, his name is Gunpai Yokai, and he's uh, amazing. He's unfortunately he's passed, um, but he was. Um, I don't think Nintendo would have existed without a guy like him. him and Miyamoto. I think are two the two rock stars. Exactly. Miyamoto gets all the credit, but yeah. but Gunpai Yokai is like the he's the Hardware. true wizard. He, oh yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> He did the light gun. He did the Game Boy. He did. Uh, he was the producer for Donkey Kong. He you know, he's got his credits are amazing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so Virtual Boy was like his baby. But I also heard that years later, I heard that the reason why it was all red was to keep the cost down. It was too expensive mm -hmm. to do the you know blue and green that you need to make full three you know full color. Uh, so they were they were trying to keep it ex um, from being you know a thousand dollars. So I think it was still what around three four hundred dollars, right? Was the was the MSRP? Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I waited in line for this thing, and I. Um, I get to it and it's literally this um it looks like a viewmaster on a on a tripod and a really flimsy tripod like people kept knocking it over it 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 was like you had to like the way they had it set up you had to like crouch down and put your head into it it was very uncomfortable and it was heavy so and they had no there was no head strap or anything like that so you couldn't like lock into it right and it just 
in my, I walked away being like profoundly disappointed by the virtual boy because I saw that the idea was good. The idea of this headset where the game fully encompasses your field of vision and you've got the speakers on. So you're, you're, you know, you're immersed in the world, but the experience, the, and, and there's a, there's a video that I show uh, or used to show um, by a, uh, a YouTuber named the angry video game nerd or something like that. And he's got actually a really good segment on the virtual boy and, and he's foul mouthed and he's, he's kind of a crude personality, but he shows like every game on the game boy and rants about it and how terrible it is. And, and all that It's pretty, it's a pretty funny video worth watching. Um, but it really does highlight the things that were poor about that system. Uh, and it's it's too I don't it's too bad mainly because I don't think Nintendo will ever try to make something like that again because that that system tanks so badly. I think that they they are probably haunted by the specter of the Virtual Boy and and if they had their druthers they would probably you know destroy every copy that was in existence. <laughs> I think Nintendo kept the spirit at least of their innovation. I think out of all the console makers, they've been always the one taking the risk. Oh, um, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the Wii and yeah. and and all that is, you know, of course, the, the switch kind now of this. Too. It's killing. Yeah, it. the switch, right? Yeah, it's the spiritual successors to the. Well, Game Boy really is the the thing that's amazing about Gunpai Yokai's legacy is if you look at the form factor of the Game and Watch, which is another thing he invented. That form factor has been the basis for every piece of Nintendo hardware, with the exception of. What was there was one system that wasn't quite I think it, was, it might have been the the GameCube or something like that. But like every other piece of technology and hardware that Nintendo has made, really, you can see a very clear line between the evolution of the Game and Watch to the to the two screen Game and Watch, which really looks like a DS. Yeah. Uh, if you look at right, if you know that two screen Donkey Kong uh, system, um, and uh, and it just you know the the form factor. Uh, just worked, you know, and it, and it support, it supported Nintendo literally for like 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So I think Oculus kind of had the same effect, I think, but finally Mm -hmm. realizing the capabilities of today's technology to kind of make it, you know, less like a toy, but more realistic. Uh, I think it was just hampered outside of the core players uh, uh, by the wires, by the setup. Like I, I own the original. Well, not the original, but the Oculus Two, right? Basically, with the right. wires, the camera setup. Yeah. And even though I was excited and I saw the huge potential and had a lot of fun, the setup killed me every time because I, you know, I don't have a dedicated VR room. I would have right. to spend ten minutes to set it up, and uh, that kind of hampered the replayability of the device for me. Um, but then of course the Rift S came out and immediately that helped which is like the dedicated PC version of the quest. Um, and that helped a lot, but still there is like a a resistant to kind of (laughs) like put it on, fire it up and like kind of take your whole living room apart, uh, by playing Half-Life Alex, right? Half-Life Alex was was a huge turning point for me to kind of finally, like finally uh, the beginning of VR. Happens it was the Alex was kind of the you know they call it the killer app right it's yeah. the it's the game that everybody wanted to play that everybody was excited about they're like oh you know I, I want to play the new Half Life because I love Half Life One and I love Half Life Two and all the episodes in that and so you know t- Alex technically is Half Life Three right I mean it's not but it is mm-hmm. and um, and so I think that that and I think there were a few other games. Uh, on other systems as well. Like I think a few of the PlayStation games really got some attention, like the Resident Evil one and the Batman, the Rocksteady Batman game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then on um, uh, the Vive, uh, you have um, things like, like you have kind of lighter fare on the Vive, things like um, uh, Space Pirate Simulator or uh, Beat Saber or the Rick and, you know, then the, the kind of the... the they're kind of the heirs of the adventure game, the click and point stuff like the Rick and Morty game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the virtu- virtual reality. And um, I forget, there's a few others that remind me of that, yeah. that, that type of gameplay. But I think that um, 
I think I, I first of all, I hundred percent agree with you, Brandon, about the tearing apart the living room and having to set up these towers and and you know then you uh, we have to make sure there's enough room past those towers so you don't run into a wall or through a window um, or into your couch um, and and so remember earlier I was saying there's some barriers to entry still to VR and I think this is a big one I, I in my mind um, I'm not quite sure unless VR really gets embraced for other applications than gaming, which there have been several attempts and people make lots of different products. But until I think the general user thinks of it as other than something other than a gaming machine or a gaming, you know, the, 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 you play games on it. I think that it's still going to be very niche. And I'm, I'm a VR. I love VR. I, I love playing VR. I worked in VR for about a year. And when I was at Disney, we did some stuff as well. But um, but I don't see it replacing the home console right now uh, because the home console is much it, it takes up less space. It's much easier to just kind of sit on your couch and do things. I mean, we had a moment in console gaming where motion controls were big, right? The Wii and the Kinect and the Move. Uh, and those were fantastic systems and they evolved very quickly. And there's some really cool games for them, particularly, I think, on the Wii. They still hold up to this day. Mm-hmm. But but where is motion control now? Right. Like motion control has kind of been abandoned by the console makers. And I think there's a reason because of that. And I think it's the the commitment to the space that you need and the user, many users, myself included, just don't have the space to adequately use something like that. And so, um, you know, it's a, I mean, part of it is just the fact that many people don't live in a big enough place, you know, and they live in apartments or they live in a, uh, you know, a small residential rather than a house with a big room in it or something like that. So I think that, I mean, this, this ties into a whole other, you know, things about, you know, economics and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, cultures and things like that. But I think that that is a, you know, we don't have the holodeck in our house. Like houses don't come with that room that says, all right, here is your bedroom. You know, you're going to buy a three bedroom house with, you know, two bathrooms and a hologram room, <laughs> you know, or a VR room, right? Mm-hmm. There's not, it just doesn't exist. And until it becomes part of the, uh, like in, until things like that are common and, and, People expect that in, you know, in the in just the structure of their house. Right. Like kind of like a family room. I don't know. Do you have a do you have a living room and a family room in your house, Brandon? <laughs> yeah, but I, I know that's rare. <laughs> it, I mean, it is rare. I, I I've rented houses that have that, but I haven't I haven't lived in a house with a living room and no, a family no room way, no in way. like in like 10, 12 years. Right. Yeah. And I know and I'm I'm like, you know. I'm considered at an economic level where, you know, it's, it's, I'm doing better than, than the many. Most, right. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but, but that said, I don't live in, you know, any house that would support that. And therefore I don't have that space. Now, the other half of the equation is VR is expensive uh, right now. It's, I mean, even though it's cost, it's way more cost effective than it used to be. And it's ever been, but it's still, exp- it's still considered a luxury item. And I think again, um, the consoles are the main way that people, well, down PCs are the main ways that people play games. And therefore, um, they're like, what do I, I really want to spend all extra money to just do this other type of game? And, and I think that there's reluctance from the market because of that. Yeah. For the VR, especially, there's only two devices that I have high hopes for. And of course, that's uh, one is Facebook Oculus. Uh, just by the pure fact that they are uh, not Google-like and they are committed to the device. <laughs> and it right. seems like they are taking the right approach of treating it like a mobile because um, as long as they keep putting money into it, making it cheaper every time, I, I believe the next two or three quests are going to be pretty advanced and kind of remove mm-hmm. these barriers. And I think there is a survey out there for uh, most VR users use it sitting on, on their chair, right? Most people don't. Yeah like to move around so 
I think the advances they're making with finger tracking without any gloves or controller is like a step forward. If they can yeah, do that absolutely. with their feet too, uh, if necessary, and probably not. Um, uh, I think those are the right moves to do because people generally like to sit on their chair right. and play VR. Well, the- well, that's the type of gaming experience we've been used to since the 70s or 80s, right? Yeah. It's always been sit on your couch. You've got this very uh, small ergonomic, ergonomic footprint of a controller. And, you know, the amount of movement and, and interaction that I have to do with this thing is very minimal, right? It's it's a couple of fingers. It's maybe yeah. a tilt. And that's about it. And so the a lot of the games and the way that we think about games is you know in this very it's this very compact little form factor now that was of course what was so exciting for people for the wii because the wii was like oh you want to swing a sword well you swing it like you swing a sword you want to throw a bowling ball you you know you throw it like a bowling ball right and so that's the other direction it's it's either this um you're trying to imitate real life and so you're walking around and you're interacting with things and you're, you know, you're moving your hand and your hand is moving in the VR space and it's doing something. Or you have this, um, you know, and uh, you ever watch Star Trek and there was the captain who was stuck in the little wheelchair and all he could do was like turn on the lights. Right. Uh-huh. Like that's that's like what the majority of gamers are used to is being that little person in the chair that can only do whatever the buttons let them do right but but it's this weird kind of abbreviated um they're almost like um uh, uh artificial limbs in a way like video controller video game controllers are like artificial limbs in a way and so we've gotten used to using our artificial limbs not our real ones to play games and we're like well it's good enough you know it's we can run around we can we can hit things if we come up to somebody we can hit a button and it's contextual and talk to them or fight them or whatever. And so games have always concentrated on that shorthand because it's been necessary because of the limited amount of control the players have actually had. And and so the first for me as a as a VR creator and a and a fan of the genre, it, I find it frustrating because I think the future is in the full body. That's for me, that's where the the very exciting part of it is, is this is that I am not only immersed in the world in my eyes and in my ears, but I'm in there with my hands and my body and and the walking around and that. And and so the year that I spent making VR was with a company called Spaces, and we were making what is called um, LBE, location based experiences. And this is if you're familiar with at all with the void um, have you ever, did you ever do any of the void stuff, Brandon? The thing I haven't done the void, but yeah. I fully am in support of it. It looks really cool. I'm with you on that. Yeah. The physical presence yeah. of VR is excites right. me more than sitting on a chair. Yeah. yeah. And what was really interesting about doing that, like I, I was fortunate enough to do many of the void experiences as kind of homework and, and DreamWorks uh, had, or it was called like dreamscape or something like that. They had a, a exhibit in L like downtown LA and um, uh, and then, of course, the things that I was working on, which we had in uh, Irvine and then it was in San Jose and I think even in like Tokyo or Hong Kong or somewhere. Mm-hmm. But um, these were essentially the best way to describe it is you're going through a haunted house, um, but you have a VR headset on. And so you can feel things. You can reach out and like press buttons and pull levers and hold a gun and interact like I did a Ghostbusters one where you have the proton pack and you're zapping ghosts. I did a Star Wars one. We've got a blaster and you're shooting stormtroopers. Ours was a Terminator themed one, so you could shoot the Terminator oh, uh, robots with. Yeah, I saw that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a blast, right? I mean, literally, it was it was you felt like you were immersed in this world. It was like being in a theme park, but a theme park would that encouraged you to interact with things because if you go to like Disneyland or Knotts or Magic Mountain or whatever. Really, you're only doing three things. You are you are watching, you are writing, and you are buying. Like that's really all the majority of the theme parks want you to do. Now, Disney has been doing some experiments. A few other places have been doing experiments. But but the thing that's the big bummer about all this was just as this was starting to become a thing and people were starting to make businesses, here comes the pandemic and everything gets shut down because Partially, it's the social part, right? We can't go out now and do this. But the other part is that these um, these location-based experiences are very, uh, you have to keep it very hygienic. It's yeah. a very high 
like the the cost and the effort in how clean we you know we were very diligent about we got to make sure everything is wiped down we have to make sure everything is sanitized we had we had um ultraviolet lights that would blast the things with you know to kill the bacteria and and you know all this and and here comes a disease yeah. that is highly contagious boom it, it literally has decimated the industry right now and it's yeah. a shame because because i look at that and i go damn that's what i wanted that was the vr experience that i was really excited about and it's and as of this second that we're talking in the beginning of 2020 it is a dead industry right like and people you know i've had friends that had companies and they've had to close the companies because there's just no market for it at all and so this makes me wonder all right well if that branch has been uh, cut for now, I, I I expect it will grow back. I, uh, I you know, it's kind of like if you let the genie out of the bottle, uh, eventually it will evolve. But as of right now, it's it's kind of dead, and it will probably remain so for maybe another five six years. I think, unfortunately, yeah. but um, until people's confidence come back and and other people go hey remember that thing the void that was so rad let's do our own version of it right because that always happens so the same with with anything like remember video games were dead in 1983 in america and then it wasn't until the nintendo came out here in the us in 85 and then you know it took a few more years for consumers to go oh yeah we like video games let's let's uh, and then other companies would start to you know place sony and and then xbox etc um so it will it will come back again, but in the meantime, to your question, what what is going to replace what what is like going to kind of push its head up and and become the dominant uh, version? Um, let me let me think about that. I'll let you talk for a while, and then we can <laughs> figure, figure it out together. Well, I'm going to kind of write that off a bit because uh, I, I, le- I live near Irvine. Obviously, I'm in Orange County and there isn't a VR arcade over there. And once in mm-hmm. a while, when the pandemic kind of like dies down, I take my family over mm-hmm. there to walk around just to get some, breathe some clean air. Right. I was very surprised right. that that VR arcade still had a lot of people. And I was like, wow, this is, I would think this is the first place that it would close. But like he said, yeah. it is supposed to be, it has to be super hygienic. Um, yeah. And for people who don't have this this amount of room or the devices uh, or access, right, they would go to these VR arcades and people get it. I think it's actually the perfect timing and it had the same kind of momentum growth as the um, – what do you call it? Those, uh, those trap room – uh, oh yeah, escape rooms, right? Escape rooms, yeah. right? Actually, yep, yeah. it, it actually ties into escape rooms really well. If you know, you just yeah. you know reshape the reorder the maze, and someone with the <laughs> with the content right. can, can change it. Uh, yeah, I was kind of starting even, to see that merge uh, happen. Yeah, yeah, I've even seen like I've even done a few escape rooms where they integrated VR. There was one in particular in LA that. Uh, they used the VR as kind of the first act of their storytelling. So it was, I think we were like, um, there was some sort of, you know, pandemic or, I mean, of course, everybody was like, ah, you know, the world is, uh, you know, under a pandemic. And, you know, we, back in the time when we uh, used it for entertainment, right, that that set up for entertainment, it wasn't our life back then. Yeah. But um, in it, we were um, scientists and we had to go down to this lab to like finish this formula that a scientist who had died that was working on. And so the beginning of it was um, we were, it was kind of like the opening of the original half-life where we were riding uh, some sort of monorail system to get nice. into the, like the bowels of the earth, you know, this lab had been kind of made, you know, hundreds of miles down into the earth and it was a secure location. And then of course, you know, something goes wrong and the, and the, the, the you know, stuff happens on the track and you get, you know, um, and then eventually you have to, all right, we're here. And then you take off the helmet and then you're in, you go into this room. Right. And so, um, you know, that was fun. It, 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 the, the, did the experience need it? Not really. Like it was just more for storytelling and to kind of get you into the mood and maybe even give the employees some time to kind of like reset things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, it, it made me start to think about like, well, if I really wanted to use VR, in an escape like a proper escape room what would i do and to be honest the the thing that i would think about was i was like i'd kind of rather be ar than vr 
Yeah. Like VR is great and it's and you can do a lot of really amazing things with it. But the thing that I really love about the escape room is the set design. Like I love the you go into these very themed environments. And I've done a few. I did one that was like Jumanji themed mm-hmm. and they had like a they had like a, a giant rubber hippo head that kind of popped out of a wall. And you had to like put your hand in its mouth to pull out a key. And like they had all types of crazy stuff. Right. And, and you know, big plants hanging from the ceiling and, you know, they were simulating daylight coming through and all this. And so for me, um, that kind of theatricality that escape rooms provide, you know, with actors and with the sets and the props. Um, unfortunately, most of that goes away when you're using VR because you're, you know, the whole point of the VR is you're letting the the computer do that for you. So yeah. I think that I think that there's room for them to happily live together. But I would hate to see um, them kind of crush what is good about each of them. Like VR is this uh, total immersion. You're in the you know, you can play with gravity. You can play with, uh, you know, you can have any type of character in the world, whatever. But escape rooms then have this, you know, usually very beautiful set design and and, and cool physical things that you play with and put into things and all that. And so the LBE was like kind of lived in this very narrow little channel between the two where bits of them would kind of poke through, but not entirely. And, uh, and it was really uh, an interesting challenge to work in that space. Yeah. I think if, uh, if anything, if for those type of rooms, I'm leaning more to VR kind of, I agree with you, man. I love Disney for the fact that the sets, you know, uh, yeah, going to the it's, parks, a, it's a, it's, it's a whole tangible. world, right? Yeah. It's a whole world. Yeah. But yeah. I think for me, at least production wise, <laughs> if, if, if there's a successful formula to kind of keep costs down and it's just, you know, moving plywood around with wheels just to kind of create a new experience. And it's up to the virtual yeah. reality to take care of like the heavy lifting. Then I, you know, I think at the beginning it's cost effectively wise. It, it's actually uh, probably more beneficial for the business to figure that out. I agree with you a hundred percent. The concept of it is, is a great concept. However, there's a few mo- So first of all, when I was at spaces, the goal was to have modular sets that were yeah. relatively easy to literally like we were, we kind of were designing things around Lego, right? We were yeah. like, all right, if we make it like Lego and then we were thinking, okay, what good, what kind of generic parts do we need? We need a lever. We need a, a, a some buttons. We need a, this, we need a, that we need railing. We need whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we were thinking about like the, the actual surface that the people would um, walk on had to have holes in them. So then you could like pop stuff in and ratchet it in place. And, and, you know, so now you could have a new environment. Right. So we literally, I went, I, I spent months thinking about this and planning this and we were going to do it and it just wasn't cost effective to do it. It just ended up being really expensive to do. And, you know, we got, we got all types of quotes and, but we didn't, you know, once again, it's, it's safety. Um, you know, the reason why Disney can make all these really big elaborate things is that they don't let the guests often interact with them. Like you don't touch too many things at Disneyland. You, you know, when interactivity up until I started working at the park in 2011, like the most interactive thing at Disneyland was either the sword in the stone that you could occasionally pull out if you were like a you know, 10 year old kid and you were in the middle of the ceremony uh, or there was an apple in front of Snow White that if you touched it, it would activate a sound cue occasionally of the of the witch. Or you had like the Indiana Jones cue where there's the pole and you pull on the pole and the roof comes down a few inches and that that was it. That was like those were the most interactive things in all of Disneyland when I started working there. And our part of our goal was to kind of raise that interactivity up. But uh, but the thing that the people at Disney were always saying was like, well, you can't have them touch it because it's going to wear, it's the paint's going to rub off, it's going to become dangerous because they'll, they'll you know, people always, uh, we can't help ourselves. We just pick at things and ruin things. It's ter- Humans are, are terrible, you know, but... Um, but our job they're, they're was full to, of diseases as we've learned. <laughs> well, they're, yeah, they're not just full of diseases though. They're also just destructive, right? Like, yeah. like you, you can't, sometimes you can't help yourself, you know? And, um, and so we had to go, okay, well, how can we, um, create, how can we let them use their phone, uh, as their hand? 
that was like one of the challenges. Like we were like, all right, well, let's do that because that's what video games do. Video games, you're using your phone, you're using your controller as your hand and let's let them do some very simple things uh, instead with this, you know? And so that was, that was the, there was a big project that I worked on um, for a couple of, uh, about almost two years. And then unfortunately the funding got cut and, uh, but it did get resurrected as um, an app called Disney Play. So if, when when Disneyland finally opens back up again, um, you know, you can pull out your phone, you can play all these little games on it. And then there's things that you can interact with in the park. Um, like the one I, I did one after I left um, and then the team finished up and then I went back and said, oh, I want to try this out. Um, there was like I remember one in the Peter Pan queue where it was like, all right, look around for. Um, these wooden carved images and the the game, uh, the, the app was going to ask you, all right, what do you see? You know, where is it? And then once you kind of answer some questions and kind of tell the app where the position of these things were, then it said, all right, now, uh, when you pass by this lantern that's in the line, you'll get a little surprise. And so you walk up to the lantern, you kind of put your phone next to it so the Bluetooth receives, receives it. And the lantern lit up and it played, you know, kind of Tinkerbell noise. And then a little panel slid open in the lantern and there's Tinkerbell, you know, kind of waving at you mm-hmm. and, and that. And it's, you know, it's very charming and it's and it's really cool. It's, you know, this little extra bit of Disney magic that you can do. Um, but it's not the same as like, here is Tinkerbell's lantern. You know, you need to safely transport her back to Peter Pan, you know, and somebody gives it to you, you know, on the other side of Fantasyland, and you have to walk it back, you know, to Peter Pan and hang it up. And then Tinkerbell flies out and thanks you. And that's stuff you can do in VR. That's mm-hmm. the, and that location based, right? Like I can make a little plastic box that I tell you is a lantern. And when you look at it through VR, you see it as a lantern. And it's lit up and it casts shadows and light. And then you, you know, eventually can walk your way to Peter Pan, you know, his treehouse or whatever. And when you set it down, then a little animated Tinkerbell could come out and fly around your head. And you're, you know, you're looking all over and it's making 3D, you know, noise and all that, right? So that's the that's the plus of the VR is the VR is that you, you know, are so immersed in this world that it's indistinguishable other than the graphic fidelity. Like, you know, it's only limited by the frame rate and the skill of the artists that create the assets. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing with the pandemic and you, you kind of were touching on this a bit. Uh, we are living in a virtual reality now, a hundred percent, I think close to a hundred percent. We're interacting with each other and in, in well, we're in the matrix. Life. We're in the matrix right like, now. Like, well, well, but like you said, you're like, you're like, Hey, I want to get in the matrix. But the thing that we forget about the matrix is, the real bodies were like plugged into those batteries. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of like where we are. We're like stuck plugged in at home. We, you know, I don't know about you, but man, I haven't been inside a store since Same. March of last year. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I'm considered high risk. So I, I don't play, you know, I'm playing it safe, mm-hmm. but, um, but I, you know, I, I get up, I walk you know, five feet to my computer I teach my class. I walk downstairs to the kitchen. I, I eat the meals. I walk my dog around the block and I come back and like, you know, I'm in a battery, right? I'm in my little, my little uh, bubble as it were, yeah. and, uh, and not going anywhere. So this VR, this virtual reality, so I can go online, I can go anywhere. I can talk to people all over the world. I can play board games with them through tabletop simulator or tabletopia, or, uh, you know, even uh, if I set something up and point some cameras at it. Uh, so I can still do the majority of the things that I enjoyed doing in the before times. Uh, it's just the, you know, my foot, my, my footprint of where I move has been significantly reduced, right? I used to commute like an hour one way each day uh, to work at school to teach in person. And now I just do it, you know, and I have kids in um, Myanmar and India and uh, China. And, you know, I'm teaching to people all over the world um, rather than, you know, them having to come here to Burbank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a a huge uh, change for everyone. And even if we are slowly rolling back, into the office, there's a huge percentage uh, 
from the before times that are going to be still at home. And I think everyone is realizing, all right, how do we better this experience? And if Facebook is what I think they're doing with the Quest 2, they're they're at the forefront of trying to make this virtual experience a little bit more interactive, a little bit better, Um, which is, I think now more people are actually in open arms to kind of figure that out. I do want to touch upon the next topic that you kind of, uh, spoke about. Um, I am actually agreeing with you about ARs. My my thing about VR is it it can't be a mobile phone success where everyone has one until AR is a success, and right. it could be as soon as the next iPhone comes out. Right? Like in terms of AR, it feels like iPhone Tim Cook especially have shared his interests and in actually. Uh, a big believer behind AR and seeing it as part of the future. Uh, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about how AR plays as part of this whole <laughs> augmented reality, virtual reality transition. here. Well you, well, you have to think about this, Brandon, what are right now as of, you know, February, 2021, um, what are, are, what do you think are the two most successful applications of AR in the world? Okay, I want to hear you if you think if if your thoughts line up with what mine are. I think they're mostly games, right? Is it Pokemon? As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> or are you talking um, about like actual other type of? I'm apps? talking about I'm talking about uh, other app things that would because the the trick for AR is once again it's has not been universally embraced. Although I believe through these two medium or these two applications, uh, they ha- they are at the level of penetration where kind of the rest of AR needs to get to. So what are, so I'll give you a hint. You're using one of them right now. What am I using? Oh my God. My brain is, I'm going to fail your class right in front of everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. It's very, it's very hard to fail one of my classes. Um, So the, so the first is the virtual background, right? Right. This is it. That's augmented reality, right? What you, I can see you. I can see the physical. Yeah. I can, I can see your, I can see your gun show going on, but I also see your, your virtual environment that you have going on. Right. So, So that's one application that everybody, because everyone's of Zoom, yep. everyone's doing it, right? You you that's go true. onto a meeting and and you know there's always some knucklehead with outer space or uh, you know I have I literally have like friends that will when we're having meetings they will just cycle through virtual backgrounds and it's <laughs> it's it's simultaneously hilarious and annoying as hell, right? Yeah. So that's so that's number one. The other one we saw a really great example of this online, and it got a lot of well, it got a lot of press. And that is um, the uh, the the Snapchat filters, the Snapchat things that turn you into right, right, pussy right, cats, yeah. and yep, yep. and you know uh, anything, right? Makes your face all weird and and changes things around and whatever. That's the other ver- that's the other application of VR right now that people love. Like they love be- partially because we love. You know, as humans, we're conditioned to love ourselves and love our faces and and love other people's faces. And so this, you know, very silly. It's literally a toy, right? Like it yeah. is a it is treated like a toy. These things that, you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, like like the I remember, you know, like last week or two weeks ago, there was the lawyer who didn't realize the Snapchat filter was on. And he looked like a cat. And he was like, I'm not a cat, you know, and and so and so I'm like, all right, that's good. That's AR. That's, you know, those are both AR things. So the question is, can we get people to mentally evolve past this? Just those very simple applications of this. I have a background. It looks cool. Or I have a funny thing on my face and that looks cool. How can we get them to start thinking about those kind of things, but in slightly different contexts, right? So how can we make uh, games? Uh, for example, that can utilize this in a way that is meaningful for gameplay. And I think that once, you know, if when somebody figures that out, um, then it's going to become much more embraced and it will eventually uh, get to the point like there are AR games, right? There, I mean, they've been around for a while since the early 2010s. There was like tabletop AR, which had little tanks that you know you get. Oh, look, there's my desk, and it's being invaded by aliens, and I can shoot yeah. them with a little uh, tower defense. Um, or I remember um, when I was working at THQ, we did a Star Wars game 
that was uh, the Millennium Falcon, the turret from the Millennium Falcon. And you could take your iPad and like move it around in physical space. And here come TIE fighters and you're like shooting at them with the cannons. And that was great. It was it was super fun. And, but when you think about it, it was like a very it was very low impact because the interaction you didn't really have to interact with anything in the background because the the code wasn't smart enough to recognize things. The code is getting smarter now. That's and you were talking about the the finger recognition and things like that. That's when it's going to start getting interesting because when the code is smart enough to recognize the environment uh, and to be able to um, realize what you have and 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 then have things in the world either like light them or interact with them or whatever, then that's that I think is where we're going to see some neat evolution but the question is will it still just remain a gimmick right and that's the thing that i'm not quite sure about yet i'm not i i've been i've been doing a lot of thinking of other types of interaction as well because i do a lot of board games and board games a big appeal of it is the tactility right like yeah. there's nothing like moving miniatures and rolling dice and having a hand of cards but there are a lot of game systems that are developing right now that are kind of creating this bridge between the physical and the virtual and and I'm I'm talking to some people about something like that. And that's the real interesting challenge is like how much virtual is too much, how much physical is too much, right? Like 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 you want there's a point where it's like if you're making a playing a board game on a AR environment, part of you might go, why why don't I just roll the dice in my hand? It's a hell of a lot easier. But then there's another part of you that's like, well, but it's kind of cool to have the virtual dice, but then I don't get the the feeling of rolling them, right? So it's like, yeah, there's there's an interesting puzzle to be figured out about the the moderation between tactility and and virtual in uh, things. And so I don't I I don't think we're there yet. I think I think the missing thing in the equation is haptic feedback. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how far. I unfortunately I've not been following research on that as best as I should. But I think that I have a feeling that that might be the secret sauce that like when we can do something that we touch our phone screen and let's say it's a picture of a cat. And if we stroke the picture and it feels like stroking a cat, that's when we that's when things are going to get interesting. Yeah. Full full body tactile. <laughs> it's well, like but the, then that. Yeah. Ready player yeah one I mean, it's, it's ready player <laughs> one. Right. Yeah. But but here's the thing. Here's the other problem with ready player one is that a. Ugh, could you imagine how gross those suits got? Right, like <laughs> yeah. like disgusting, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, and it's very hard to wash technology right now, right? Yeah, it's uh, a yeah. you have to do it with UV light and and maybe some cleaners, but but you have to be careful because you'll mess it up. And nobody wants to destroy their you know five thousand uh, dollar you know suit, right? Whatever I forget what they called the suits in the book and the movie, but mm-hmm. um, the other part of it is I think that there's still a reluctance from the average user that if they have all this stuff on, they look like an idiot. And I I think this is a real issue, right? Like having all this crazy, like there's a certain level of technology now that we are used to. Like, so for example, uh, if I were wearing something like this back in the eighties, which I did, I I used to do sound uh, stuff. Like I I would do sound and whatever. And I liked wearing big monitors because I I have weird shaped ears. So I don't like earbuds and, and earbuds actually didn't even exist back then. Right. All there were, were these big headsets. And so when I would wear the big headsets at work, people would kind of make fun of me because I had these big headsets on. Now, of course, you know, you could walk down the street and have these on and people wouldn't look at you working out with it all the time. Yeah. So right, it's right, ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> Inconvenient, but, but they're then, wearing it. Yeah. But then the other thing is, remember, the technology has also then shrunk down. Yeah. And my son wears the little earbud all the time. And, and I barely it looks like a hearing aid to me. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm you know older. So I I, uh, I go, oh, OK, that's kind of weird. And plus the fact that, like I said, I, it doesn't I don't like wearing them. So yeah. um, but but then this stuff is going to shrink. Right. This always happens. Right. Think of radios right radios were huge they took up you know holes they were like the size of a of a cabinet in your house and now they literally are you know i can listen to the equivalent of radio on my phone or a watch or or in my little earbud right so it's um uh it's everything shrinks is uh, uh is how it goes so the technology to do um 
that haptic stuff is going to shrink. It's going to go, or it's going to at least get more uh, elegant, right? Like it will, right now, I've tried some haptic gloves and they're still kind of big clunky power glove type things, but eventually they're going to get thinner and they're going to get smaller and they're going to get, you know, they're going to become very close to like form fitting. But then the question is, well, will people want to wear this on their gloves or do they want to put like little caps on their fingers or like what, what is it going to end up being? And then what's the point where people are going to go? Yeah, that's okay. I don't feel like an idiot for wearing this thing anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're, we're actually approaching that one hour mark, but I want to kind of ask you this last question, which is kind of jumping off from what you're saying, how devices are getting smaller. I do believe Weirdly enough, and maybe not weirdly enough, Facebook is leading the charge of making this more approachable for the common right. person, either sure. them or Apple, right? Whatever their next iPhone right. or AR keyboard or, or both, right? Or they both. will ho- they will hopefully be fighting back and forth, and we'll get a kind of an get arms race going on, yeah, right? Which yeah. we need right now. Uh, right. Of course, there's PlayStation VR, but you know that's a Sony bubble, and I, that's always going to be with Sony fans. So it's not going to grow grow the industry any bigger. I would ask right. you this: um, What does VR have to be? What's small enough where you feel like it's going to be used like a like a phone? Because I think that's that's what Facebook is kind of shooting for their own mobile device, but like not a mobile right. device, right? Does it have to be glasses or even if, is that too big? Like what is the appropriate wearable device think, that makes I think people it, want to try it? I, I think it needs to be as device free as possible. I think that that's, and I don't know how, what form that would take nanobots maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> like, I, I think what the problem, well, the cool thing and the problem about science fiction is it shows us what we want. And um, it it gives us a kind of a target to shoot for. And then we have to figure out like, okay, how do we get there? So in my mind, the AR VR interface I, that I think is the best models are um, the holodeck in Star Trek and the, um, the bits in Iron Man where he's kind of, or minority report, right? Where they're right. kind of like, you know, moving stuff around with their hands so they don't, you know, I don't in Minority Report, I forget if they put on a glove or something. They might have like a glove with little lights on the fingers or something. Mm-hmm. But that but but I could imagine rather than having a stupid remote that I never know where the freaking button is. Right. I could imagine sitting on my couch. Right. So going back to what we were talking about, about the user wanting to be comfortable and me just reaching out with my hand and going, all right, I'm going to I'm going to change the channel. Right. I'm going to it's essentially Tinder. Uh, but with uh, TV stations and then, you know, oh, I want to turn up the volume. I just do a little hand twist in that. And I, you know, and I think that the the just like video games and just like um, VCRs, you know, uh, were te- were telephone or telephone television centric product. I think that if we can get a finger quote VR television or an AR television, that might be the thing to get people to embrace this technology more wholeheartedly because the ever right now in, in, you know, Western civilization, the television set is, is still kind of the, the heart of the home. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have our phones and we're, but we're doing things on our phones uh, individually. And I, and the TV is still kind of a shared experience. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we play games together on it. We watch things on it together. What we, you know, might even have, um, Skype or Zoom or whatever set up yeah. on it so we can talk to grandma, you know, every get everybody in the family together to to say hi and wish them happy birthday. So I think that a piece of technology that becomes central to um the user's lifestyle is going to become that's I think that's when we'll see the breakthrough. It's kind of like it's it's a funny analogy, but um uh VHS was kind of a struggling um, technology until pornography came along <laughs> and, and, and yeah. porn for better or worse has porn. always been <laughs> porn, porn got um, uh, porn, got people interested on in online yeah. porn, got people interested in VR porn, got people interested in VHS and DVD and CD, right? Like 
Like, I hate to say it, but keep your eye on what porn is doing because they are always at the head of the curve. Right. It's there we just go, like people. The, keep your eye on yeah, porn. <laughs> yeah, watch more porn. No, no, but but I'm serious. Like, like from a from a technology I get you, yeah. society, Content, or, you know, community. Yeah. Constantly, they're yeah, they're, yeah, they're looking at the content and how it's used, and 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 picking the 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 things that are winning and have you know are going to capture the audience. Um, and so they often cater to that. And so um, if you watch those technologies, um, then that will give you an indication of eventually, I think, where the audiences will go. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, either porn or Half-Life Alex contact. Is king. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And it of is course. the driver yeah. for most technologies like that. You can have the best hardware in the market, but it doesn't mean anything if it doesn't show up. I think we kind of see it with Stadia, right? Stadia, yeah, yeah. if anything, should have been the king of the land with Google backing it with cloud service like crazy. But, you know, they got it killed off too early, in my opinion, uh, without yeah, exclusives. It's, yeah, it's too bad. There will be um, there will be another version of it. It will be called something else. Um, it will come back just like I mean, the the streaming the dedicated streaming gaming has existed even before valve. Like I remember um, play systems back in the mid two thousands that were like, Oh, stream Sonic the Hedgehog on your computer and you can play that and have your friends watch. Um, So this stuff has been around for a while. It just, it, it takes some time for the right application of it to hit. And then once that hits, then everybody's going to jump on board because they're, they don't want to be left behind. Um, so the the real trick for us as people who are trying to pay attention to trends in technology and trying to make sure that we are part of it because we want to make content for it and and you know create businesses around it and things like that or even just express ourselves. Um, you know, it always I always say just keep your eyes open, right? Watch and read and try to follow rabbit holes, and eventually, um, you know, if you make enough bets, one of them is going to pay off. So uh, just uh, just keep paying attention. And then when you find something that you think could be good and, you know, participate in it, make start making stuff for it. And um, and then hopefully that will it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Like software developers, game developers can't exist without hardware developers. Hardware developers can't sell product without game developers. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I want to thank you, Scott, for coming on and chatting up. It's always insightful to have you on. It's exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, this is the part where I kind of shut up, hand over you the mic to promote, to give attention to. Uh, by this time, uh, that new uh, undisclosed IP that you're talking about should be public information, but you don't have to talk about it now. Right, if right. anything, we'll provide the link to the article to this podcast so you guys can follow through. But if there's anything else, your books, anything, uh, yeah. go ahead and, and, and talk about that. Oh, man, so many things. Uh, first of all, if you want to follow me on the socials, you can follow me at Mighty Bedbug on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I have a Facebook page. Just look for Scott Rogers and my smiling face. Uh, I have a Patreon for mostly for my board game design work, nice. although I'm kind of broadening it out a little bit more. Um, but uh, that is Scott Rogers designer on Patreon. And one of the cool things about this is if you donate uh, or, you know, sponsor me at the top level, uh, I do a print and pray, print and play game uh, every month. So, uh, you know, every month you get a free game that you can download and print and play with your friends and family at home. Um, also, uh, you can, uh, if you want to read more about, uh, I've written two books. One is called Level Up, The Guide to Great Video Game Design. The other is called Swipe This, The Game to Great Touchscreen Game Design. And uh, both of those are available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, if you're interested in more of my board games, there's Ray Guns and Rocket Ships and uh, Pantone the Game, which also are both available at game stores and on Amazon. Uh, I've, you know, you can play my back catalog, I, although I don't make any money off of that. Um, or, oh, um, I do uh, some other things that might be of interest to your audience, which is uh, through the New York Film Academy, I run a program called Masters of Game Design. Uh, it is a speaker series in which I interview. Um, influential and um, and and famous uh, creators about their careers in video game design, 
Uh, we actually had, we, I did one last night with a, a lady named Celia Hodent, who is an expert in user experience. And nice. she's worked on Fortnite and worked on the Star Wars 1313 game and things like that. It was a great talk. We also do workshops. And the way that you can join in on this is by going on to Meetup. And it is called the uh, Game Mentor Network is the name of the group. And you'll see a picture of me on it and and join that. And then you'll get all the updates about our uh, programming or, or you can go onto YouTube and watch uh, those. Just put in New York uh, Film Academy game design or Scott Rogers or whatever. And and um, there's a whole there's already about 20 or so of these videos up online. But they're but they're really great. They're with super you know people like Bill Roper of Blizzard and. Um, uh, oh gosh, um, Elon Lee, who did Exploding Kittens, and nice. um, uh, the guy who runs uh, Insomniac, whose name I'm blanking on Ted right Price. now. I'm Ted Price, thank you. Yeah, or guys like Rafe Coster or Stone LeBrand, or you know, these are all creators that have very long and fascinating careers in game design, and and are worth listening to. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be the first one over to kind of watch all these and follow you up uh i want to thank you again scott for coming on and dude um like me and you uh, i think the whole world is waiting for vr to kind of take off we did have a momentum and hopefully that returns as soon as everyone's out of their house again uh i think it's only a matter of time where everyone uh puts on goggles and live their life that way (laughs) <laughs> living their best virtual life exactly uh, exactly if anything the last two years we needed that escape <laughs> for outside yeah. our world well, yeah. well we'll get there again i'm yeah. i'm i'm a hopeful guy and i'm sure that we will get back to it we just gotta be smart be safe and uh take care of each other well aim into that man uh thanks a lot dude and uh have a good night thank you Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody